This is episode 61 of the 99 Forever podcast. I'm Eric Friesen, and my guest today is making his fifth appearance on the podcast. He's the founder of the Heavy Hockey Network and the host of the Oilers Live and Heavy Hockey podcasts, Michael Bear. Michael, how's it going today? That's going great. Thanks for having me, Eric. Yeah, man. It's great to talk to you again. Uh, it's the, the first time I've had you on the podcast since late May when we were recapping the Oilers' epic playoff series victory over the Flames, which obviously made for one of my favorite episodes. And hopefully we'll have uh, some more great moments to look forward to this spring. Yeah, absolutely. And I, and I, and I believe we will. <laughs> yeah, I, I know that there have been times this season where uh, it seems like that's becoming less likely, but there's still a lot of runway left. And I believe this team's headed in the right direction now, and they're going to turn it around and make sure that they get back to the postseason this year. hundred percent. Yeah. I, I, I agree with you. I mean, I, I, um, I think that the season schedule for the Oilers coming up and um, a number of factors are going to play into that. Absolutely. I mean, I think they had the second most difficult schedule in the first half But it's sort of making up for it now because they have the third easiest schedule going forward for the second half of the season. Yeah. Yeah. And, um, you know, I mean, we um, quite literally just passed the halfway mark. Right. And, uh, you know, I mean, who did we have up? The Ducks. I mean, that wasn't um, far, far different game than uh, we saw last time. But um, that's exactly how the Oilers should have looked against this team. Right. And I mean, they badly outshot them the game in December, too. It's just that the goalie stood on his head and um, stole a game that the Oilers would have liked to come away with two points. But uh, like I said, we're just hoping for better things in the second half of the season. Now it's set up well for them, especially when this team gets healthy. Yeah. Yeah. A hundred percent. I mean, they, um, you know, there's some argument. Well, I don't know if you'd call it argument, but when I bring up injuries with the team, uh, some people say, well, the Oilers haven't had many. They've actually, um, they lead the, lead the league or or close to the top five of the league in man games lost. And, right. and you know, any injury on a hockey team to me is a big one. I uh, mean, look at the Colorado yeah. Avalanche, for example. Uh, they were one of the best teams in the NHL last season, finished second in the overall standings behind the President's Trophy winning Florida Panthers and obviously had one of the best playoff runs ever going 16 and four in the playoffs this year they're not even in a playoff spot at the moment and injuries are a huge factor there the oilers are in a similar situation where this team has been decimated early on in the season losing some key parts and i don't care what team it is around the league you take uh, a couple top six forwards or uh, a top four defenseman off their team it's going to have an impact a hundred percent. And, you know, how many goals is Evander Kane good for in a year on this Oilers team? You know, 30, 35 goals uh, at a minimum. I, I think it's 40 personally. Uh, and, you know, he changes uh, the outlook of the lineup. Uh, he gives the team considerably more depth, um, you know, more options. That's um, that's a huge loss. And, you know, you you got to factor that in. And there's probably some teams that could handle a situation like this better than others. Like, I think if if the Tampa Bay Lightning or Boston Bruins lost a couple guys, yes, it, w- it would still be noticeable. But 
they might be able to get through it a little better than a team like the Oilers could. Yeah, uh, they might. Um, but, you know, let's talk about Colorado, right? Um, you know, they're a team that it, for all year people have been using the injury excuse for this team. And here they are sitting on the outside looking in. Um, you know, like as an Oilers fan, we've had to deal with the constant rhetoric that the Oilers are no more than Connor McDavid. Um, you know, if if a team loses a player, it's a big deal. And it's it a big deal for any team. I'm not saying uh, I that's why I don't believe Colorado is is that at a loss of talent that a couple guys make a big difference. I think it's a big deal when you lose when you lose players, whether you're the Oilers or you're the Colorado Avalanche, who were unstoppable last year. For sure. Remind you. <laughs> right? Exactly. And, and I think the other thing is that old, you know, rhetoric that all oh, the the Oilers are a one man team or two man team. Well, for the longest time, they were calling them a one man team, and it was just McDavid. Then they were almost forced to include Drysaitel in it. Well, they're a two man team. I feel like those are people who just kind of look at the box scores and rarely actually watch this team play. Because if you watch the Oilers on a regular basis, you'd realize they're the only team in the NHL with three 50 point scorers and the only team in the NHL with four 20 points or 20 goal scorers right now. So uh, the top end talent on this team is exceptional and it's just, it's not just McDavid and Dreisaitl. Yeah. hundred percent. I mean, and, and as Oilers fans, we know that we watch this team um, you know, one of the the downsides is exactly what you said. People looking at the box scores or, you know, focusing on what they hear in the media, which is, you know, just about all about Connor McDavid. And, hey, I'm thankful for that. You know, just last night, yeah, talking to a friend who, you know, is a fan of another team made me realize, you know, just how lucky we are. Uh, not that I need to be reminded that when we turn on the TV to watch our favorite team, we also watch the best best player in the world you know um you know there's so anyway you get you get Connor mcdavid that gets so much uh you know media coverage so much coverage in general is leading the league he's leading his own team by 15 points leading the league by 20 points um you know it's it's just it's a lazy assumption to assume that he is the team that's yeah. all and, and I mean, obviously he has a huge impact on the team and um, the, if he has an off night, it does decrease the Oilers chances of winning, but it's not like he's a one man show. And if, if he has uh, a, only one point saying a night that the Oilers are guaranteed to lose, I mean, they, they recently uh, beat Dallas six to three a couple of weeks ago and, and Connor scored one goal late in that game that was his only point so it just shows you you know there are enough weapons on this team that it doesn't have to just be mcdavid every night yeah yeah um and we'll talk about that for sure i i mean there's of course yeah you i mean one of the things we were going to talk about i think is you know who needs to improve um and that's that's definitely um you know part of it um but look you know having him uh, as part of the team he's not the only part you know, as as we're just saying, um, you know, Drysaitel seems to step it up. Uh, when McDavid was gone for, I can't remember how many games now he was gone, and Yamamoto, Drysaitel, and and Nugent Hopkins were best line in the league, right? Uh, there are people that can step up on this team that don't get enough credit. 
it was only seven games with a quad injury late in the 2019-20 season, right before the pandemic hit. And if I'm not mistaken, the Oilers went four, two, and one during that stretch. And like you said, McDavid, uh, or sorry, Drysidle, Nugent Hopkins, and Yamamoto were the best line in the league at that time. Yeah, yeah, and and they'll step up, right? I mean, you somebody has to take the minutes, and and we're fortunate in Edmonton that there is a player just waiting in the wings that can take McDavid's minutes, and he happens to be, you know in the top five of, of players in the world. If you're an Oilers fan, he's the second best player in the world. Um, I think he's the second best. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I mean, look, you've, we've got a good argument for it. 100%. And he's second in points right now. Uh, you know, he's, um, he's outstanding. Uh, but you get, you give him the minutes that McDavid's not taking. Um, and you know, you're doing all right. You've got a, you've got a superstar, a guy that could lead any team. Without a doubt. But before we get into any more Oilers talk today, I wanted to hear about your experience watching the 2023 World Juniors in Halifax, where Team Canada won gold on home soil for the second time in less than five months. Was this your first time ever attending a World Juniors? And what was the atmosphere like at Scotiabank Centre, especially for the gold medal game? Yeah, so so to answer your question about first time, um, I've I have been to World Juniors matchups, but never a game that included Canada. Um, of course, those are always at a premium. Uh, so this was the first time that I had opportunity to watch Canada at the World Juniors. Um, but I, you know, I did the same thing, uh, which is I watched other teams as well at the World Juniors because I had the the tickets so I could go, you know, I saw some Czechia games, some uh, Sweden games, um, German games, etc. cetera. Uh, I will tell you this. So one difference, you know, is if you went to um, Czechia, Sweden game anywhere else uh, in Canada uh, that wasn't a junior barn, you're not going to get the same atmosphere. Like the fans were rabid for every game right you know if it was Czechia and sweden the fans usually had somebody they were cheering for right and they were into it and they were cheering and having a good time and and you know music was going you know and it and it's a knowledgeable fan base here uh in halifax and atlantic canada and it was fun to watch uh if it was canada um it was up you know three or four levels um, you know, the building was shaking, uh, the, um, you know, the fans were, you know, one of the things that if you've, if you've been out here to Atlantic Canada, you know, to Halifax or, or anywhere, um, people are just friendly people and, uh, and neighborly. And so, you know, it, I quickly got to know everybody that was in my section, like in a, you know, the 360 degree radius. And by the end of the world juniors, um, we were like one big giant Canadian family and you knew all the different signs, you knew who the characters were in the stands <laughs> and, you know, it was, um, it, I've, you know, I've been to my, as you know, I've been to my share of Oilers games as a previous season ticket holder. Um, and it's just different. You know, it's it's uh, it's a small town atmosphere. Uh, Halifax is a you know it's a small city, 
Um, but it was a small town atmosphere. It was a lot of fun. The building was shaking. Um, it barely holds that many people. Like it does. There's enough seats for just over 10,000 in Halifax. But, you know, if you wanted to go to the bathroom, you were sure to miss a goal, right? Like that's that's how, you know, it just wasn't wasn't prepared and, and uh, ready for that many people. But it added to everything. The lineups, you know, to get um, merchandise were, you know, around the block the lineups to get into the building like they were people were lining up an hour and a half before they could get in you know they they were just everybody that's all anybody would talk about going anywhere did you see the game last night if you went anywhere oh you were lucky enough to go uh i'll tell you this city uh the region everybody was buzzing they were all into it. They all knew every player by the end of it, whether, you know, they played for Austria, uh, who, you know, didn't have a great tournament or, you know, they played for Germany. Um, you know, people knew people knew the, the players and they were yeah, they were into it. I, I'm you can tell just by the way I talk about it, it was um, just an amazing experience and one that um, I, I was going to say I won't soon forget. But the reality is I'll never forget yeah, I mean, just watching it on TV, it, it felt electric, and uh, that's why I just wanted to ask you about the atmosphere there, because if we were feeling it, you know, just watching it on our couches at home, I'm sure that being in the building, especially for that gold medal game, would have been just incredible. And, you know, when the World Juniors were held in Saskatoon in 2010, I was lucky enough to go to one game with my best friend just after Christmas. Uh, Canada beat Switzerland 6 nothing. Jordan Eberle had a goal and five points that game, and uh, Eberle went on to set the Canadian record for most career goals at the tournament with 14, and that record stood for 13 years until Connor Bedard broke it just last week, as well as several other World Junior scoring records. Uh, how enjoyable was it for you to watch Bedard's record-breaking performance live? Well, I will I will tell you this that um, you you remember the Eberle. Uh, record and you remember how electric that was and there is nobody i know in saskatoon now granted eberly is kind of a local right uh having from regina being from regina he's a a sasky guy so he's a sasky guy but doesn't matter everybody in saskatoon is a huge eberly fan right like i know and and you know i know a lot of people in saskatoon they all love eberly because he lit it up that that world juniors and you remember that i'll tell you this that uh you know bedard's you know from the other other coast um but everybody in in halifax and area is a huge bedard fan right now uh they sold out on jerseys bedard jerseys i was lucky enough to get one really Uh, they sold out a couple games before the (laughs) before the tournament was even done um you know he was um they you know, they chanted MVP after every game for him. They, you know, every time he touched the puck, there was a buzz in the, in the stands and it was warranted. He is, um, you know, uh, dare I say it, he sees the game better than anybody I've, I've watched in a very long time. Uh, including, including our favorite Connor McDavid. Um, maybe he doesn't have the speed of McDavid, but, um, his ability to you know know what's going on and and how to play the game uh is is pretty next level 
and uh, it'll serve him well. I'm I'm excited to watch him play in the NHL and see, you know, what he does. Um, you know, it, obviously there's always going to be a wait and see, but he's definitely a special player uh, and uh, and so much fun to watch. Yeah, and first I'll just go back by saying you're right in your assessment that everyone here is an Eberle fan. I mean, uh, the friend that I talked about going to the game with um, around Christmas 2009, he uh, is a Capitals fan and his brother is a Leafs fan and neither one of them liked the Oilers, but they were Eberle fans even during his time in Edmonton because of the impact that he had during those two World Juniors in 2009 and 2010. (laughs) Um, I'm guessing that getting to see Canada win gold was the highlight of the world juniors for you. But other than that, what are you going to remember the most about this event when you look back on it years from now? Yeah. I mean, the, um, the song heave away, (laughs) really, really became, uh, you know, um, a thing. It was like, you know, you'd be walking down the street in Halifax and people would be humming it or singing it. Um, and that was of course the Canada goal song, and for those who want to look it up, it's been done by the Fables, uh, and they're a Newfoundland band. Um, and Zach Dean picked that out. He's, um, you know, from Atlantic Canada. He was a favorite. Uh, it was just really neat to see all these kids. That you know, there's there's a couple of memories that stand out specifically. Um, the Bedard goal in overtime against Slovakia. Uh, when everybody you know was on the edge of our seats because we thought it might be an early tournament for Canada um, going into overtime, even in the final game after being up by two, you know, the, the mood and the tension in the building, um, you know, was just unbelievable. And anytime Canada scored, uh, you know, it just felt like uh, it was, there was an elation in the crowd and the heave away would go and, and a lot of, a lot of jiggers and dancers <laughs> out here, but everybody's <laughs> dancing in the stands. And as I said, we, you know, it was like very neighborly. Um, I got to know a lot of people that I'll probably never see again. Um, you know, those are the memories I'll take from it. I, I quite literally, if there was ever a case for keeping it in a junior city, uh, Halifax proved that. Um, I'm sure, as you remember in Saskatoon, probably just had a different look and feel. Um, not that people in Edmonton or Calgary or, uh, you know, Toronto wouldn't appreciate a game, these games. Um, but there's a different feel. I mean, we're used to cheering for junior hockey out here. Uh, and, you know, it's a lot of fun. And, you know, it's it's about cheering for, you know, guys from your hometown and and a little bit of a different game and style. Uh, and and then the other thing I want to, um, you know, just say about the fans out here, and uh, I can't speak for the fans anywhere else, but um, they were great in understanding that these were just kids, right? So, you know, when Slovakia lost in overtime, they were crying, right? And they're on the, uh, the fans were done cheering. And then Slovakia, I was right by the visitor bench, um, where, where, where my seats were, um, you know, so I had firsthand view, uh, but the fans cheered on the teams, right? Like they still gave Slovakia big, you know, applause and, and, um, you know, there weren't any, you know, rude comments or anything like that. Uh, it was just really good, you know, overall sportsmanship and everything from, from the fans here. Um, 
Yeah, it was awesome. I loved it. Everything. I, you know, as I said, I'll never forget this. It was great. Well, it's great to hear that they showed class like that. And I don't think anyone ever questioned that there are passionate hockey fans out there. I think there's passionate hockey fans from coast to coast, really. I mean, absolutely. You know, lacrosse might be our national sport technically, but in reality, hockey is Canada's game. It's always going to be Canada's game. And I think that from from what I can tell, uh, Atlantic Canada did a, f- a fantastic job of hosting this event. Uh, they had it in 2003, I believe, yep. as well. And I'm sure it won't be the last time that they'll be hosting this. Yeah, no, I, I, you know, it's uh, if it's every 20 years, I think they'll be happy here. <laughs> but um, it was, yeah, it was pretty good. Well, that's awesome, man. All right, we'll go back to the Oilers now. And since it's Connor McDavid's 26th birthday today, I think we have to start by talking about the Oilers captain. So when McDavid arrived in Edmonton in the fall of 2015 as an 18-year-old phenom, we knew the Oilers were getting a -a once-in-a-generation superstar. And despite impossibly high expectations, McDavid has somehow exceeded all of them. Since 2015-16, McDavid leads the league in assists, points, game-winning goals, overtime goals, power play assists, and power play points. He's won nine individual awards, including four Art Ross trophies, two Hart trophies, and three Ted Lindsay awards. And his 776 career points are the fifth most in NHL history by a player before turning 26, behind only Wayne Gretzky, Mario Lemieux, Dale Howarchuk, and Steve Eiserman. Michael, as a diehard, diehard Oilers fan... How much of a thrill has it been for you to watch the best player in the world on this team for the past eight years? Yeah, I, 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 we watch this guy every night and he still does something to amaze us. You know, if it's the goal in LA where he steals the puck and then flies down and and puts it top cheddar, like, you know, this guy, uh, he just finds new levels to amaze us. He, he wasn't, you know, he was a goal scorer before, but he wasn't a rocket Richard kind of goal scorer. Um, and now he is all of a sudden, uh, I've just, I've stopped questioning what he's capable of. And, um, just wanted now i start asking the question what's next for him right uh he's you know every year they said he gets faster i remember training camp would hit and some you know media personality somewhere would say i think we saw mcdavid you know at the biosteel camp and he looks faster this year um you know or mcdavid you know is gonna shoot more this year he just does things uh better he continues to get better which makes him a superstar um, I don't, you know, it's not, um, who knows when that, when that changes, uh, and starts turning the other way, but for the immediate future, um, you know, we're seeing the best years of his, um, of his career, uh, and he never disappoints. I mean, even on a bad game, you know, where he doesn't get a, <laughs> if he doesn't get two points, it's kind of like an off night for him. Um, and That's you know, those expect, nights, right? yeah, yeah, yeah. And those nights he always has an opportunity or two uh, that um, just didn't go in or, or maybe it was, you know, a, a pass to somebody who wasn't able to complete the, complete the play. But every night, every single night, he does something that makes me uh, just happy to be an Oilers fan and, and be able to see this guy night in, night out. Yeah. And something you said there, 
I just think really stood out when you said that you stopped questioning what he's capable of anymore and you just want you're wondering what's next i think that's very much how fans in the 80s in edmonton felt watching wayne gretzky you know he broke phil esposito's record of uh, 152 points in his second season and then from there it was 200 point seasons and well now he's breaking his own records and it just got to a point where they said you know the possibilities for this guy are endless. And I think we're starting to see that with McDavid as well. I mean, he is the gold standard for offensive brilliance in the NHL today. Even though hockey is the ultimate team game, McDavid can single-handedly take over a game with more impact than anyone else. Thanks to his otherworldly skill and uncanny ability to skate with the puck at a speed we've never seen before. And incredibly McDavid has elevated his offensive games to new heights this season. I mean, he's scoring at a rate that we haven't seen in more than a quarter of a century. He's currently on pace for 66 goals and 151 points in 82 games this year, which would make him only the sixth player in NHL history to record 150 points in a single season and the first since Mario Lemieux in 1995-96. McDavid could also become the first player since Lemieux in 96 to win the Triple Crown by leading the league in goals, assists, and points in one season. Michael, when we start talking about things that haven't been done by a player since Lemieux in his prime, that really illustrates how special of a season McDavid is having, doesn't it? Oh, yeah. I mean, and it's, um, you know, and we're here to watch it, right? It's just, you know, it's uh, this season, though, is is unreal. Who, you know, if any player finishes with 79 points in a season, you'd be happy. Elite. Yeah. Yeah, you, but point per game player is considered there. an elite player in the NHL. Exactly. Yeah, and um, and it's not even close right now. You know, there were what two weeks of the year where you know there were a couple of people you didn't know who was going to be chasing McDavid this year. It turns out it's you know Leon Drysital. Uh, but he's you know he's on a different different level, and it's not even. It, this is the year where he just he says. You know, I'm I'm tired of this, and it's not even close, right? Um, I've talked about this, you know, ad nauseum on my own show, which is, you know, it, it, every every year we seem to, you know, at least outside of Edmonton, people want to find somebody that's better than McDavid. You know, one year or at least McKinnon. find a reason why yeah. they should vote for them for the exactly or, or for the Hart Trophy for the Hart him. Trophy, and there it's. It's ridiculous to spend time like going through this exercise of trying to come up with some reason why, oh, this guy is doing this. You look at the player who's having the best season year after year. It's actually stunning to me that McDavid only has two MVP awards through seven seasons. And he's a lock to win it this year. I mean, he's reached a point offensively where giving it to anyone else would look foolish, but I think the question is, can he be a unanimous winner again? Gretzky and McDavid are the only two players to ever receive every single first place vote uh, in a Hart Trophy race. Gretzky did it in 82. McDavid did it two years ago in 2021. I mean, do you think that we could see McDavid get it again this year? Or do you think that there will be some American writer that will still vote for their local guy? Yeah, I mean, that's... 
Yeah, that's the that's the kind of thing that's a you know fool's bet because sometimes there's always somebody who wants to be contrarian or otherwise. Um, it's um, but it, is it is he deserving of it? Hundred percent. At least at this stage of the season, uh, there's there's no doubt. And you know, I always have to say like, if you're asking yourself why I shouldn't vote for that person or whichever, then that's the guy you need to vote for. Right. Like if you're trying to find reasons not to vote for somebody, that's the person you should be voting for. Because, <laughs> you never, you know, if if McDavid wasn't in the league, then we'd have that question. You know, who do we legitimately vote for? Uh, and- but he but he is in the league and he is, you know, on a level uh, that nobody else is on. He's doing things that nobody else can do. And uh, he does it night every night, it seems. And you, yeah, unanimous. It should be unanimous. If it isn't, it's a tragedy. Um, but you know, there's always somebody who, there was always somebody who hated Gretzky, right? Stan Which, Fischler. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Stan <laughs> Fischler comes to mind. And it, and it's just, you know, it's silly, right? Like it's, you know, it's a little immature. Um, but people, you know, when Tiger Woods was dominating in golf. Right. You couldn't look at that rationally and say he wasn't the best player to play the game at that point. Um, but people, there were people out there that even would go so far as to say he's not very good at golf. <laughs> right. <laughs> you know, just it's laughable. Um, Connor McDavid is the best player in the world, hands down. Um, the only person that will catch him uh, might not be in the NHL yet. Um, and uh, I'm not even convinced that he'll as good as Connor mcdavid but he's got potential to be yeah. and you know i'm not going to say if but when mcdavid does win the heart trophy this summer he will join bobby Orr, bobby clark and wayne gretzky as the only players in nhl history to win three heart memorial trophies as most valuable player by the age of 26 and <laughs> It's astonishing that he should have even more than that by this point, but he's still in that exclusive company, even if he gets his third in eight years this year. Yeah, yeah. To say that he hasn't already is is a little bit ridiculous. Um, but yeah, he's. Um, those are uh, some pretty big names. Yeah, we just we haven't seen a guy like this for you know many years since you know uh, yeah ninety five ninety six keeps coming to mind. Uh, in that terms was- of production, yes, but. Uh, as far as finding a comparable for McDavid, I don't think we've ever seen a player like this. You know, he's often called the most advanced player that's ever played the game because of his combination of skill, vision, uh, speed. I mean, just his ability to process the game. No one has ever done it the way McDavid has done it. Yeah, yeah, hundred percent. Like we've just never seen anybody do it that fast and that good, and yeah, and that goal. Uh, uh, two nights ago now against Anaheim. Yeah, I mean, um, incredible spinorama backhand top shelf goal. And the crazy thing is that that might not even be one of his top 20 goals in the NHL. <laughs> I know, I know. <laughs> for most guys, that's a career highlight. And, <laughs> yeah. and for McDavid, if they were doing a, a TSN top 10 McDavid goals list, that one doesn't even register. Yeah. Yeah, 100%. We've almost become accustomed to his greatness at this point, much like I'm sure fans in the 80s were with Gretzky. Now that he's chosen, and I, and I say it, because, and I mean it that way, it's like what he chooses to do, he gets done. 
Um, but now that he's chosen to be an elite goal scorer among right. the mix of other talents that he has, uh, we've seen more of that this year. Um, he's, you know, his ability to drive to the net at his speed um, and see the game as he does. Uh, you know, look, he's he's not on he's not on pace for it anymore. Um, but if he somehow manages 15 goals in the next seven games. Um, are you going to be surprised? I know I won't be. I'll be elated, uh, but I, just nothing would surprise me anymore with him. I still think he has a shot at 70 goals. I, like I said, I know he's currently on pace for 66. And the remarkable thing about that is, is that 66 goals would be the new high watermark for goals in the salary cap era ahead of Alex Ovechkin, who had 65 in 2007-2008. Can you imagine if McDavid had a better goal-scoring season than Ovechkin, who many believe is the best goal scorer of all times, top goal-scoring season? Yeah. Yeah, I mean, it would be... Look, in people are going to laugh at me for saying this. This season, McDavid is showing himself as one of the best goal scorers of all time. And, and, it, and, the, way, and the reason I say that is, you know, earlier on this season, I put together a a montage when he was um, 15 and 15, right? I remember it. I and when you idea. looked at, yeah, when you looked at that, every goal that he scored, right? Like it, a lot of the goal scorers, they had an MO, right? You know, if it was, you know, let's talk about a guy we love, Ryan Smith, right? You, you knew he was banging them in in front of the net. Talk about a guy who could be the best goal scorer of all time, Alexander Ovechkin, who you know he's in the on the left side of the the goal and he's waiting for that shot right uh he's scored other goals and he's scored some pretty ones but they're what's probably 500 of his 800 goals are from that spot yeah exactly give or take if i had to just take a guess at it maybe it's even more than that and what's mcdavid's mo You, you 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 can't you can't say because he doesn't have one the other night he you know threw one to the net from you know that from ovechkin's spot and and uh, you know, killed it top corner. You know, most some nights it's you know a breakaway goal, uh, and he you know changes up how he does the breakaway. Uh, sometimes it's a wraparound. Sometimes it's you know a one timer from the right of the goal uh, net. You know, it's it's everywhere. It's when he gets the puck, he has the ability to score, and I don't. There aren't there aren't many players in history that had that ability. No. Um, and I'm not going to suggest that Connor McDavid will ever come close to Ovechkin in terms of goal scoring no. ability. I mean, I mean, look at Ovechkin is he he could potentially break the record for most 50 goal seasons in NHL history this year if if he scores 50 again. Um, but would you think that at the end of their careers? McDavid's top 10 goals, like the the best goals that he ever scored, will be a more spectacular list than Ovechkin's top 10 goals. Oh, yeah, with, without a doubt, right? Um, you know, it could be the nicest top 10 goals that we've ever seen. Right? Now, at the end of the day, I, I'm also a believer of they don't ask how, they ask how many. Yeah, but at the, yeah. But at the same time, if you if you're uh, producing these highlight real goals on a nightly basis, I mean, it, it does make it a little more enjoyable to watch, especially if you're a fan of the team he's on. It does, and and you know, McDavid's never won a Rocket Richard, so it's hard to you know put him in that. 
category he's going yeah. to this year though. He, yeah, he's yeah, he will. And you know, that now will put him into that category of elite goal scorers. Um, the next question for him will be how long can he sustain that? Right. And if he can sustain that for a length of time, um then then you know that's a whole other conversation. But I think we we can only have that conversation uh after he wins the Rocket Richard and then uh see what he how he sustains it. Um but right now this season uh puts him in you know elite company and in, in the way he's doing it and what he's doing. Um yeah, it just even even through the bad moments of being an Oilers fan, right? Being uh, you know, fighting for a playoff spot at this point in the year when you felt like we should be top of the division. Uh, even then, I'm still thankful to be an Oilers fan and be able to watch this guy play. Right. And look, the Oilers have owned the Art Ross Trophy basically since 2016-17. <laughs> yeah. Uh, five of the last six Art Ross winners have been on the Oilers, including four for McDavid. Uh, he's going to win his fifth this year, which puts him into even more exclusive company. But the Oilers haven't had a player lead the league in goals since Gretzky in 1986-87. And the... The Rocket Richard Trophy didn't come around until 98-99, so he'll be the first Oiler to ever win the Rocket Richard Trophy, but he'll also be the first Oiler to lead the league in goals in 36 years, so we're, we're due for it. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I, I mean, although there'd be, you know, a ton of other fans, <laughs> fan bases that don't think we're due, but, but you know, I believe we're due. And uh, lastly on McDavid, this is a question that I've asked a few guests on the show already this winter, but I want to ask you as well. uh, How many goals and points do you think McDavid will finish with this season? Oh, yeah, that's, I mean, that's a tough, uh, tough go. I'm going to say he finishes with 160 points and, um, and around the 63 goal mark. Wow. Well, yeah. If he does that, that will be the most points ever scored in NHL history by a player not named Gretzky or Lemieux. And, uh, you know, I listened back to the season preview episode that I did with Ryan Lotzberg and Spencer Pomodi recently, and I predicted that McDavid would score 52 goals and 140 points this season. And it looks like McDavid is going to blow past both of those marks here and probably about a month and a half. (laughs) And I'm glad he is because the Oilers have needed him to produce at that clip. But I've always thought that McDavid would put up 150 points in a season, at least once in his career. And Mm -hmm. if he's going to do it, it's probably either going to be this year or next when he's at the height of his powers. But right now, just like I said, at the pace he's on, it seems like 150 points. There's a real shot of him getting there. And, you know, you might even be right. 160 could be in the cards for him. Yeah. I mean, you know, the, um, the, the thing that a lot of people don't realize, and if, and if you're a, you know, avid Oilers fan watching these games is, you know, there are nights where he could have, you know, four or five more points. Oh, absolutely. How many uh, times has he given his line mates a, a point blank opportunity that either hit a post or the goalie stopped. I mean, if if his perfect passes were converted more often or the odd post that he hits, he's actually leading the league in, in posts hit this season. <laughs> no, it's ridiculous. You know, if 
if I think if, I think he's at nine posts. Yeah. If even let's say even half of those go in, if it, if it's a quarter of an inch the other way and it goes in the net, I mean we're talking about you know he's right back on pace for more than seventy goals again. Yeah, yeah, and and he's so he's I think he's still got a couple of games in him where he's going to get you know five five point nights right this year. We'll see we'll see a couple more, and that's kind of what I base that on. Is that um, you know he he'll he'll continue his average, uh, and I think he'll do that you know you know two points at two points a night roughly uh, for the rest of the season, and then you're going to see a couple of you know games whether it's like that game against Anaheim had the potential for McDavid if he had wanted to blow it up, you know, be a five six point night, and um, and it was funny, but I I got the impression in that game that Woodcroft was playing McDavid to uh, boost other players during the game. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And, and see, there's times like that where, okay, the game is pretty much out of reach for the opponent. You're feeling very comfortable that you're going to come away with the two points. And that's maybe an opportunity to dial back McDavid's minutes because he plays so much in other games that if you do have an opportunity to, rest him a little bit. I mean, you look at the game when they blew out Seattle, uh, seven to two a couple weeks ago. Yeah. That was McDavid's only five point game this season, but he only played just over 16 minutes that night. So they had a chance to, you know, in the third period, cut, cut his ice time down dramatically. And, um, I mean, he, I think he has seven, four point games this year, and there's been opportunities in each of those where he's just come short of getting that fifth point. And, and like you said, there might be one or two more five point games this year. So, um, and, and then once you have a couple of those now, 150 just looks even more doable. Yeah. Yeah. It's, um, it's, it's still, it's amazing, right? Just to be talking about 150, yeah. uh, floors me. <laughs> I mean, I, I said this on a previous episode too, that, that might be one of, if not the best, individual accomplishment by a North American professional athlete, team sport athlete, in the 21st century. I, I'm trying to think of what could be close to that. Uh, I mean, Peyton Manning threw 55 touchdown passes in 2013 in the NFL uh, I asked a friend of mine, Brian Swain, who's a big basketball fan. He couldn't think of one basketball example that would come even close to a hockey player getting 150 points in this era of the NHL. So uh, in terms of baseball, there were some really high home run seasons in the early 2000s, but those are kind of, you know, there's a, there's an asterisk a little bit on them because of the steroid era. So 150 points might be, you know, the top accomplishment by any player this century. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. No, I, I think that's, you know, that's fair. Um, and you know, it's, it's McDavid. So, you know, he has been, uh, he's, it's not even, I'm, I'm always surprised if there's ever a doubt that he's the best player in the world. Um, because he just is. And um, to say otherwise, I just think you haven't watched him. Exactly. And I know that there were some Avalanche fans who were really 
pushing for Kale McCarr last year after winning the Norris and the Conn Smythe. And don't get me wrong, he's the best defenseman in the league. And if you want to argue that he's a top five or even top three player in the league, sure, I'll buy that too. But best player in the league? No. It's been McDavid since he was 20 years old, and he's probably going to hold the title and at least until he's 30, if not longer. So I think it's uh, kind of wasted time trying to come up with reasons for anyone else. I mean, just look at the numbers. He generates offense better than not only anyone in the game today, but better than most players that have ever played the game. Yeah. 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 A hundred percent. Yeah. The, um, one of the things that I I've kind of, you know, thinking about and have been thinking about lately is, is he's sitting right now, you know, in the in the stats um, at uh, what sixteen points a- ahead of uh, Leon Drysaddle at the midway point, so that puts him at thirty two points uh, ahead. If you know, if everything stays equal at the end of the year, roughly thirty points. That kind of margin hasn't been achieved since nineteen eighty one. Eighty one by. In the scoring race? Yeah. Or, uh, yeah. Oh, sorry. 1990. Yeah. I was pretty sure that it was Wayne Gretzky who finished 32 points ahead of the next closest competitor in 1991. Yeah. If I'm not mistaken. Yeah. 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 So So that's that's pretty unbelievable. It's rarefied air we're talking about here. Yeah. Pretty unbelievable. I mean, for the most part, you know, it's, uh, it's usually pretty close. Um, but it's going to be, you know, I, I suspect that margin's only going to get larger and larger. So. Absolutely. Okay. Let's talk about the current state of the team now and following a trip to the Western conference final last year, expectations for the Oilers coming into this season were higher than Mm -hmm. at any point since their run to the 2006 Stanley cup final, if not longer. However, just past the midway point of the regular season, the Oilers find themselves in the second wildcard spot in the West with a 22-18-3 record for 47 points. Given the hype around the team this season, uh, how disappointed are you in where the Oilers are in the standings through 43 games? Yeah, I, I am. I'm, I'm pretty disappointed, but I'm not, you know... Uh, yeah, I'm not one of the more negative fans out there by any stretch, uh, but it's disappointing to see them there. Uh, the only the only solace that I have is the teams that are below Edmonton, you know, are as equally disappointed, if not more so, in Colorado, who, you know, just won a Stanley Cup. So you know, the things aren't going well for every team, and and there are. You know, two teams specifically that are uh, doing better than than we thought, and they happen to be in Edmonton's division in Los Angeles and Seattle. In fact, Vegas is doing considerably considerably better than I thought. I thought they'd be a good team, but not this good. So, you know, it's it's been tough. It's been a little bit more competitive in the West, I think, than than years past. Uh, the Oilers have had a tough schedule going in. The loss of Kane. Uh, didn't help. Uh, there were a couple of times that when, you know, McLeod was out, of course, that, um, you know, just at that time, it was, you know, real shuffle to get the lines uh, done, you know, in a good way. So, look, I, I would be um, at this point that we're still holding on to a wild card spot. 
I'm happy because I think this team has considerably more potential uh, than we've seen. So I, I could be way more disappointed. But the thing is, I, I, I've got this sense of you haven't seen what the Oilers have to give yet. And, uh, and, and I think they're about to turn that around. And then Kane's coming back. So when we see all that put together, um, I, I suspect we'll be you know, laughing for the last half of the season. Definitely, I'm with you there. And, and like you said, one of the reasons I think that we've always got along so well over the years is, is that you are another very positive Oilers fan. And anyone who follows me on Twitter knows that you know, I'm the eternal optimist and positive Oilers fan. Um, and prior to the season, I picked the Oilers to win the Pacific Division title. But instead, the team is fighting to stay in a wild card spot with several other teams just a point or two behind them. And, you know, last season it took 97 points to make the playoffs in the Western Conference, but it looks like it might only take around 93 points to get in this year. Still, that means the Oilers need to go at least 24-15-0 in their final 39 games to even secure a wildcard spot. And look, the, the Oilers are second in the league in goals for and first on the power play. So they're scoring enough to be a Stanley Cup contender. But their inability to keep the puck out of their net is the biggest reason why they're currently sitting outside of the top three in the Pacific Division. Uh, They rank 23rd in the league in goals against and 27th on the penalty kill, which simply isn't good enough for a team looking to go on any type of a run. And missing the playoffs with McDavid and Dreisaitl both in their prime is unacceptable, even with several key players missing time due to injury. Uh, Michael, we know the Oilers are going to get Evander Kane back, as you said. And Ken Holland will likely bring in one or two more players at the trade deadline. But what can this team do specifically as it's currently constructed to start winning more games? Oh, yeah. I mean, you know, lots has been said about getting secondary scoring. Um, I think that the team, you know, they, the part, there's some parts on this team that I think have underperformed. Uh, this year, uh, defense, I think uh, Jack Campbell, you know, we expected way more of him. Um, I think that's, that's, those are, you know, a couple areas that the team needs to, you know, just be better in order to get that to happen. Um, and, I, you know, what, Campbell's got it in him. He's, you know, he went to the All-Star game. So I will never get the negativity around the goalie. Um, but it's got to be a team defensive structure and I think that it was a couple weeks ago when Woodcroft finally decided that he wasn't going to do the nuclear option and McDavid and Dreisaitl on the same line every single night and I and I believe that the team has started to get back to that type of win style uh, that they had when when Woodcroft came back uh, when Woodcroft came to the Oilers as the head coach and I think it was Derek Ryan who said, you know, last year after Woodcroft had been on the team, he said it was nice to be an oiler, you know, and, and now everybody up and down the lineup has, you know, can be counted on or is, is being asked to be counted on, right? It's not just McDavid and Dreisaitl. And I, I, we're seeing that now, uh, maybe not as fast as I would like. Uh, I still trust Woodcroft. Um, but I think he's 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 going to get back to that style. I'm hoping that this is about him saying, 
you know, what was successful for me last year when I came to the Oilers. And I think he's going to find that. And to me, that's all about uh, balance in the lineup, right? Making sure that you utilize, you know, three of the best center depth. Well, that might be the best center depth in the league, right? Uh, I, you know, who would be better than that? McDavid, Dreisaitl, and Nugent Hopkins. Uh, and then, you know, having McLeod with the ability to move up and down the lineup is pretty unbelievable. So I, if if Woodcroft stays this course, that's going to be enough for me. And and you hope to find a hero somewhere on defense. Maybe it's DeHarnay. I, I, that's a lot of pressure to put on a young – well, he's not a young kid, I guess, in the, terms of the sense of a hockey player, but uh, he is a rookie. Um, maybe it's Broberg. Maybe it's Kulak needs to up his game. Uh, you know, Nurse, I think, needs fewer minutes back there to be uh, the top-line guy that I think he is. You know, um, and, and it's weird to say fewer minutes for that guy, but I think he's overplayed. And then Campbell needs to play what is expected of him and and maybe these couple of games that he's going to get the call in the net um will give him the confidence he needs to be the the goalie that we need him to be right yeah and you touched on a lot of good points there and i think first and foremost like jay woodcroft hasn't forgotten how to coach overnight i mean his record since coming to edmonton is still excellent uh he was a big part of the reason this team turned it around last season and I said before uh, the season even started that I thought this was the Oilers' deepest forward group on paper in the last 30 years. The issue is, is that they haven't had that forward group altogether other than the first month of the season. And you could argue that a couple players were even playing banged up then. Um, consistency would be near the top of the list for me. This season could best be described as a roller coaster ride so far. If you break the Oilers season down into 10 game segments, they started well at 7-3 and 0, then they hit a rough patch going 3-7 and 0 in the next 10 games. They bounced back with another strong 7-3 and 0 run after that, and then they posted a mediocre 4-4 and 2 mark in their most recent 10 game segment. So, they need to go 6-4 and 0 or ideally 6-3 and 1 every 10 games the rest of the way. Uh, holding on to leads is another area they really need to improve on. Edmonton has blown several multiple goal leads, especially in the third period. They let two goal leads slip away against the Devils, Blues, Canucks, and Avalanche. And now they did pick up a couple overtime points in those games, but the Oilers would be in a much better spot if they didn't take their foot off the gas in those games and had an extra six points in the bank right now. So I want to see more of a killer instinct from this team in the second half. They also have a tendency to play down to their competition. I mean, we've seen them beat cup contenders like the Hurricanes, the Lightning, the Stars, and the Golden Knights, but then they've dropped games to teams below them in the standings recently, like the Ducks, Predators, and Canucks. So even though the Oilers should beat those teams more often than not, they need to approach every game the same and not think that it's going to be an easy night just because they're playing a bottom feeder. Yeah, that was the nice thing about the Ducks game. I I thought that they, you know, played the full game. They beat a team that they should beat. Yeah. Yeah, and they played the full game. They didn't, you know, it was uh it was obvious they were the better team. And 
you know, nobody will deny that, you know, the Oilers on paper are better than the Ducks and they should beat them six to two. And so they came out and did. Uh, tonight will be another example of a team they should 100% beat. Um, you know, on paper, they're way better than the Sharks and they should come out and, and show that. Yeah. And for a so team a that's as test. desperate as they are, there's no excuse. They have to get it done tonight. Yeah. Uh, the, um, you know, the scoreboard was, uh, I think, favorable for those following Edmonton last year or uh, in the wild card spot last night. You know, with Colorado losing and and uh, St. Louis losing, you know, so, you know, that should give the Oilers a little bit more breathing room as well uh, if they go into tonight and, and um, can take out a win. The, this this team has the um, ability, as we said, to, you know, go on a long stretch. And, and it's interesting because I would love to, maybe you've done the math, like, is there another team that has... Do, do they lead the league? Sorry, maybe you said it. Did they? Do they lead the league in giving up goal or no, giving up the, leads? The Canucks do. I believe they've blown eight or nine multiple goal leads, and uh, the Oilers, I think, are at five. Yeah. So you know that's a big um, that's a big turn. Uh, I yeah I I keep going on about this loser point, um, and it um, and it drives me nuts. Uh, but the Oilers win games. Like if you go by wins, they're only a few games behind, you know, the top teams in the division. Exactly. You look at some of the overtime losses that have racked up and it makes you think if the Oilers could have extended a few of those games to overtime, I I think back to games where they've allowed a goal that either tied the game or gave the team the lead in the final 10 minutes of the game. And you think if they could have just, gone without allowing that to happen if they could have avoided that mishap you know at at the very least they they get it to overtime and they get a point and the oilers have a huge advantage in three on three overtime having the two best players in the world they win most games in overtime so where would this team be if they could have just avoided that one late mistake yeah and i think that's you know a, a typical challenge with the oilers of late is the you know the one-time mental mistakes that really cost them. Uh, yeah. I don't know how you coach that out of a team, but uh, it's definitely a challenge and one that, you know, leads to those types of mishaps. And, um, you know, in some cases, uh, I think it's, you know, to go back to the over-utilization of specific players. And I'm, I'm a nurse fan. I'll tell you this. So I'm am I. Darn, I'm a Darnell nurse fan. I think the challenge with Darnell Nurse is twofold. One is there's not enough uh, additional talent on this defense to shield him, right? Uh, and then so they have and to overplay him. At that's time. and then that's that's the product is they yeah they overplay him and I think you know uh, overplayed Nurse makes more mistakes, and that's just you know whether it's fatigue who knows. Uh, the type of opportunities he's placed in, um, whatever it is, when he's playing in that 25-minute-plus category, he should be playing, you know, 22 minutes tops a night, which is, you know, right up there with every top D-man in the league. Um, but he's playing over that. Yeah, uh, and they and have to. He the is their best defenseman. You know, I look, everyone's going to have their own opinion, but... Anyone who doesn't think that Nurse isn't the Oilers' best defenseman 
I think they're out to lunch a little bit. I mean, the guy defensively, offensively, he does it all. You know, he, he might not pass the puck as well as you would like, but he's an elite skater and he can still transport the puck out of the zone better than anyone else. Uh, Bouchard obviously has um, an elite skill in his ability to make stretch passes, but what Nurse can do in his own end with his combination of size, reach, and then the way that he's able to walk the blue line and, you know, make well-timed pinches for scoring chances, just the the full package, you know, he's, he's still their best defenseman. Yeah. Yeah. A hundred percent. And, and look, Cody Cece has done a great job on the Oilers. Yes. He's given a pleasant we, surprise. Yeah. Given what we expected of him, but he's not a top line D man. No. And last right? season he filled in, you know, admirably in that spot this year hasn't been quite as good as last year, but still good enough. I mean, but if you had a true top pairing defenseman playing alongside nurse, you know, that would make a difference. It would. And, um, and, you know, I, I always, uh, dash, uh, who always talks about this, he brings up a great point is nurse, you know, finished in the top six of, um, Norris trophy candidates only two years ago. Yeah. Right. Uh, I know his critics will say that was in the, the truncated, uh, Canadian division season, but still it was an exceptional year by nurse. And, you know, this year, I believe he's even on pace to have his best offensive season in the NHL. So, I mean, he's continuing to do that. The last time I checked, he was plus 11. So we're talking about a guy who's still a plus player. And I think that actually leads the team, if I'm not mistaken. So it, it yes, does he make some turnovers in his own end that you would like him to avoid? For sure. I'm not going to say that he doesn't because we've seen it happen and it's cost the Oilers a few times. But still, this team is better off with him than without him. Yeah, and and here's the thing. is There are nights where I'm extremely frustrated with Darnell Nurse, but I keep going back to the fact that he plays too much. right? Yeah. Uh, and I think if he's playing a regular amount, the amount that you know he should be playing, uh, those happen uh, fewer and farther between, and our frustration with him uh, is fewer and farther between, and um, and that's just you know how it's going to um, how it's going to work. Yeah. Uh, but right now, you know he's he's playing way too much for a guy that doesn't have a you know a, a defense pair uh, like a legitimate first pair defenseman to help him out. And, um, and so, you know, it's, it's going to happen. He's just, he's, he's expecting too much of himself. He's the team's expecting too much of him. Um, that's, that's an area that's needed. We just, until, you know, such time that Holland makes a trade or does something different or somebody steps up, um, he's going to be asked to do the same. And we just have to hope that the Oilers outscore those challenges and problems. Yeah, and it's not just on him. The entire team needs to play better team defense. And, you know, yes, there have been nights where uh, the turnover by Nurse 
has ended up in the back of the Oilers net, but he's not the only one. There have been players throughout the lineup that have made a bad defensive read or have been careless with the puck in their own zone or taken a, a penalty that they shouldn't, and it's led to a goal against. And I think what's even more frustrating about the team so far this season is that they finished second in the division for the past three years. And with how well the Los Angeles Kings and Seattle Kraken have been playing lately, it would take an outstanding run down the stretch drive to leap over both of them in the standings and earn home ice advantage in the first round of the playoffs for the fourth straight year. And while it would feel like a, a bit of a step backwards to be a wild card team, as long as you make the playoffs, you have a shot to win the cup. And as we saw in the playoffs last spring, McDavid and Dreisaitl can raise their game even further at the most important time of year. So even though the Oilers would be an underdog in a series against a team like the Golden Knights or the Stars, the Oilers have beat both of those teams already this season. And neither one of them is an unstoppable force like the Avalanche were last year. So I believe if the Oilers get in, they could still win at least one round. There's not a team in the West that the Oilers couldn't beat in a playoff series. No. Not right now. Not as it sits. Um, and but I mean, you Colorado don't know, you might be the crossover games, team. Like you could yeah. be playing a central division team depending on, you know, who finishes ahead. Right. Yeah. Yeah. True. True. Um, yeah, it'd be interesting. I just, I, you know, yeah, I'm not, I, the sky's not falling for me as an Oilers fan yet. No. <laughs> um, and I hope it doesn't. Um, it's, um, you know, this is the, the time of the season. This, Road trip, I think, is 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 massive. Uh, in fact, the next little while, they've got very Six winnable games. Six out of seven games, games against yeah. Pacific Division teams, too. Like, this is where you're going to make up some ground if, you know, you're, you're going to do it. Because these are the teams that you're literally battling for a playoff spot with. Yeah. Yeah. And so we're going to see, you know, by... I'd say by the end of February, which, you know, makes sense given where that's where that is in the schedule. But by the end of February, we'll have a really good idea of of what this team is capable of. For sure. All right. I want to look at some more individual performances with you now. Uh, So we're each going to name three Oilers players that have impressed us the most through the first half of the season. And the only caveat is that we can't include McDavid nor Dreisaitl on our list because they're obviously the team's most impressive players year after year. And after that, we're going to pick three players that need to step up their play for the rest of the season. We've already sort of touched on a few guys, but you can repeat those if you want. I don't know who you're going to pick. Michael, (laughs) we'll start with you. Which three players have impressed you the most this season and why? Yeah. Okay. Well, um, you know, it's, it's almost like there's some players that you, you know, you can't pick, but I, I would say, uh, you know, Hyman, uh, has impressed me, um, because he never stops, you know, even the games where the Oilers, uh, lost, you can always count on Hyman to give it, you know, uh, the old cliche, 110% every game, uh, and he does it with a smile on his face and he, you know, he, he takes penalties because he's trying too hard. Right. Like he's, you know, he, he never, he, you can always count on him to do, uh, everything. He, he went on a bit of a slump. He just kept going until he was out of that slump goal scoring slump. And he had some bad luck there too, with the, um, with the video reviews. So he's, he's probably number one. Uh, or close to right next to him is Nugent Hopkins. I mean, 
he he's another guy that maybe we should be asking what's next for him. He he's reinvented himself on this Oilers team uh, a dozen times already in his in his career. Um, and, you know, he just continues to get it done. If you need him to be a defensive player, he's a defensive player. Um, except he's he's everything. He's he's good on the offense. He's good on the defense. Uh, he's having a career year. Uh, this year offensively um and it's not it at some points you might have said yeah it was because he was with mcdavid or he was with dry settle it's not he's just such a solid player and he continues to get better um and he's not a rookie anymore obviously he's not even a young guy anymore as far as as the nhl goes uh, i'm just so impressed with um with that guy and how he's getting better uh year over year uh, probably the, you know, the third one is, is a little bit harder. Um, I, I'd be inclined to say Costin because he was a surprise. Um, you know, Costin's done really well. He's, you know, he's banging around. He's, he's doing a lot of good things. Um, uh, but I'd like to give an honorable, honorable mention to two players. Uh, one is Barry. Um, Barry has come out and been better defensively than I'd ever give him credit for. Um, I never get, um, watched him play this year and I can say that I, I can't recall a game where I felt like Barry was the guy that, you know, I could pin the game on, you know, he's come out and done a little bit of everything. He's been great defensive, not great defensively, but he's been solid defensively. Uh, which was never his game mo, and um, and he's uh, you know performed above expectations, and then uh, I think he's he's just uh, you know maybe we're not giving him enough credit on the blue line. Like he does what he needs to do on that on that blue line uh, in the power play uh, to make sure that the Oilers stay in the zone and and uh, do well. Now the other player um, you know is is a guy that. Uh, Kind of like DeHarnay, he just keeps going uh, until he makes it, and that's Holloway. Uh, gets an honorable mention for me um, because he had, you know, a great preseason. Everybody thought the world started on the top six, went down the lineup, but he hasn't given up. And where is he now? He's uh, probably going to come out and play top line minutes tonight, right? Um, and so, look, I think, I think you, that's what you got to ask about players is that as the season progresses, they continue to get better. Um, Holloway is a rookie in this league. Um, you know, he's, he's kind of like Hyman light right now. He just doesn't give up and, uh, you got to respect that. He, he might not have had the season we had hoped for given the way he started preseason, but man, I just love the fact that he keeps coming to the games and, and playing as hard as he can. Um, you know, cause he could have given up. And he hasn't, so so he'd be he'd be honorable mention as well. But uh, so my three uh, definitely Hyman, Nugent Hopkins, probably Costin would be third. It's a pretty good list, and I don't know if this is going to surprise you or not, but we have some of the same names. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> uh, I'm going to go with Ryan Nugent Hopkins as 
the the first name on my list. He's currently tied for 12th in league scoring with 50 points in 43 games. And now in his 12th NHL season, he's on pace for 39 goals and 95 points, which would both be career highs for him. 95 points would lead most teams in the league in scoring. Uh, He could only hope of being third on this team. Uh, Nugent Hopkins has never reached the 30 goal nor the 70 point uh, marks in his career before. So this is far and away his best season in the NHL. And over the past few years, I thought that he would become a consistent 75-point player. Obviously, the pandemic had an impact on that for two seasons and then an injury that cost him 19 games last year. But I think we're starting to finally see him become the offensive player that we thought he was going to be when the Oilers selected him first overall in 2011. I mean, he's a perfect fit with McDavid and Dreisaitl on the best power play unit in the league. He kills penalties, and he's a player that Jay Woodcroft can trust on the ice in any situation. So he's been my most impressive player besides McDavid and Dreisaitl this year. Uh, My second pick is Zach Hyman, who you also mentioned. He's been even better than advertised since coming to the Oilers a year ago. Hyman scored 27 goals and 54 points last year, and he's getting close to matching those totals just past the midway point this season. So Hyman could be another player who pushes for 90 points this year. He's relentless on the forecheck. He wins battles in the corners, and he quickly moves the puck to his more skilled line mates in good scoring areas. And just like Ryan Smith, Hyman is also willing to plant himself in front of the net and bury rebounds or loose pucks in the crease. So I think, you know, we have to mention Zach Hyman. He's also stepped up in a big way with Evander Kane out. Uh, And my final pick is Stuart Skinner. You know, going into the season, I thought we might see Skinner play around 32 games with Jack Campbell handling the lion's share of the starts. But at least for the time being, Skinner has stolen the starter's job. Now, of course, he's back home in Edmonton right now, um, awaiting the birth of his first child. But uh, Skinner leads the league in safe percentage and ranks fourth in goals against average among rookie goalies who've played in at least 10 games. And if not for his stellar play, the Oilers could possibly be out of playoff contention already. So you could make the case that other than McDavid and Dreisaitl, Skinner has been the Oilers' most important player this season. Yeah, I'm, I'm, I feel a little bit silly for not uh, <laughs> not thinking about Skinner. <laughs> well, I, I mean, thinking, yeah, skaters and um, you, you made a good you made a good case for everyone too. And you know, I was tempted to include uh, Clem Costin as well, so I'll I'll name him as my honorable mention. <laughs> yeah, and and you know, I mean, there's so many good things to for Skinner in that list. Um, you know, I, I love, uh, one of the things I love about Hyman is the same thing I love about, um, Skinner, like everything you see about these guys is just, you know, good human and good player. Yeah. Right. Um, and Skinner ranks up there in the top of both and he's a local kid. So does Hyman. So does Nuge. And you know what? I know Evander Kane came to Edmonton with, um, some baggage and red flags and there were some fans who were either refusing to watch games or didn't want the team to bring this guy in but by all accounts he has been a model citizen since coming to Edmonton there's been plenty of pictures of him uh, with kids and signing autographs for fans he he did a, a amazing gesture back in December where he made sure that I, I believe it was 
an entire elementary school of inner city kids in Edmonton had a toy at Christmas. And this is all out of his own pocket. I think they said it cost him something like $20,000. So for him to go out of his way to make sure that some underprivileged kids at least have a present on Christmas morning, that's something that he didn't have to do. And I think that that went a long way towards winning him some more fans in Edmonton, as well as his excellent play on the ice. Yeah. Yeah. You know, and and talk about that because I was definitely one of those guys that didn't want to see Evander Kane on this team. Um, You know, I don't know and still don't know, you know, all the details, um, mostly because I'm not a a gossip guy. Um, But as far as a redemption tour goes, you know, Evander Kane uh, this past year has, you know, shown himself at least in this year to be, you know, a, a stand-up guy and he's done some amazing things. So, you know, I, it would be um, it would be crazy to take that away from him. He, he seems to, you know, whatever it is, he seems to be doing all the right things, you know, and he wants to be an oiler and um, maybe he's grown up. Maybe or or maybe there's less to the story. Yeah, maybe there's less to the story than than we were led to believe. I don't know. I I don't know. But I can tell you that as of right now, the guy that we see is doing all the right things uh, on and off the ice and um, looking forward to having him back. But I'll admit I didn't want him on this team. Um, but I now I said that on this very podcast. Yeah. Yeah. And, uh, and now I'm, I'm happy to have him there. And I'm, in fact, I can't wait to see him back on the ice and I don't have that same ill will that I once had. So, uh, you know, he's done, he's done a good job both, both on and off the ice. And is there any doubt that notwithstanding McDavid and Dreisaitl that Kane was the Oilers best player in the second half last season? <laughs> I mean, yeah, he's, He's a difference maker for the team. Like, uh, yeah, he provides more than just goal scoring, right? You know, the this team's always needed somebody who's got a little bit of grit. Um, and he doesn't he doesn't have a ton. It's not like he's you know a Kachuk kind of guy, but um, he, he still fight, has though. he still has enough grit to get out there and and make people notice him and hate him. And you yeah. need a player that everybody hates. And Evander Kane's that guy for the Oilers. Exactly. And, you know, he's a rare player who is a natural goal scorer that can also drop the gloves. And, I mean, I I go back to thinking to the 2020-21 season, which was the second pandemic-shortened season. And since then, the Oilers have added Zach Hyman and Evander Kane on the wing. I mean, those are two guys with 30-goal potential. Think about where this team was before they had them, how depleted they were on the wings. Like Those guys have given the Oilers arguably the best top six in the league when this team is healthy. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah, 100%. I can't wait. I mean, um, what's the newest word on Kane? He's, um... They're saying he'll be back before the All-Star break, uh, and uh, that means we could see him as early as two weeks from now. It's amazing. That's it. That's amazing. And and great news. <laughs> All right, uh, Michael, now we're going to name uh, three players that we need to see more from the rest of the way. Uh, I'll let you go first. Uh, who do you need to see step up here? 
Yeah, this one's you know tougher because outside of those players I already mentioned with the honorable mention, um, there's you know there's a bigger list here. Um, and I know you already talked about Nurse and Campbell, so if they fall, yeah, into your no, list, Nurse that's totally doesn't. Fine too. Nurse doesn't actually fit into that. Campbell might, I think. Um, you know, Campbell will be in there uh, maybe as as number one. I mean, well, the difference with Campbell is that we have had um, you know you brought up Skinner. Uh, maybe we don't notice it as much because Skinner's done quite well in relief. Um, but a guy that I think really needs to up his game, given the current structure, without barring any trades or anything, Kulak is one guy that comes to mind. And Bouchard is another guy that comes to mind, so both on defense. Um, you know, they just need to be, yeah, they need to be better defensively. Uh, Bouchard needs to, uh, find a way to, you know, get the puck to the net a little bit, uh, more frequently. Um, he's such a talented player. Like the way, I don't know how he does it sometimes, but he seems to like stick hand his way, you know, out of a phone booth. And, um, and yet it's not as smooth as a McDavid or a dry but he gets it done anyway. Um, so he's got the talent. We know that um, he's got to take a step up to be like a, the NHLer we think he can be. And Kulak, I just think we expected more from him uh, this year than than, and maybe he's not capable. And then the the other guy um, I'd have to say is is Vogel, right? Uh, that's a guy that um, you know he he's he's got all of the skills to to be, you know, a different player. I, I, I don't know how he doesn't put it all together. He's got the size. Uh, he's got everything the Oilers uh, need and, and want, um, but he's just not showing it uh, on the ice, and, and I, can't, um, I can't figure it out. The easy one would be um, would have been Pugliarvi in that mix, but I don't know. I, I, for me, the, I, I love Pugliarvi, but I just think he needs new scenery, and so I don't want to pick on him any more than he's already been picked on. So right. my, my three would definitely be um, uh, Bouchard, Kulak, and, and Fogel. If, if those three could get, you know, could turn things around somehow and, and be noticeable out there on the ice, uh, this would be a whole different lineup in my mind. Yeah. Uh, I, I mean, I, I've got, again, some of the same, like I'm going to start with Jack Campbell. Uh, he was the Oilers biggest off season signing and was expected to carry the load between the pipes for the Oilers. However, he's had a bit of a tough start with his new club posting some below average numbers, but that said, Campbell still has a winning record and his numbers have been better in his last four appearances. I actually think he should have had the shutout in Anaheim the other night, but uh, the two goals he allowed really weren't his fault. Unfortunately, you know, they, still went off a stick or through a screen and went in, but uh, it's just good to see that his play is trending in the right direction. And he's going to have another opportunity to get in there tonight with Skinner still back in Edmonton, uh, like I already mentioned. So uh, the other thing is hopefully switching equipment manufacturers and reducing his workload will help Campbell return to his all-star form from a year ago. Um, uh, Evan Bouchard would be the second one who I think needs to have a better second half. He's minus nine on the season, which is second worst on the team after Jesse Pugliarvi. But he was drafted 10th overall, not to be a defensive stalwart. 
he was brought in to be an offensive defenseman. So he might only ever be average in his own end. But I want to see his offensive game take off from here. He had 43 points as a rookie defenseman last year. And I thought he had a good chance to reach 60 points this season. But he really struggled in October and November. And maybe part of that was because he didn't have two-time Norris Trophy winner Duncan Keith as his D partner anymore. But he's been playing better as of late. He has four assists in his last two games. So hopefully that's the, uh, a step in the right direction as well. And maybe we'll even see his minutes get elevated and he could potentially be playing on a, a, the top pairing with Darnell Nurse eventually. And I'm going to go with Kyler Yamamoto for my third and final pick. Yamamoto missed the season opener with an upper body injury after crashing into the end boards in a preseason game against the Canucks. And he missed the entire month of November with an undisclosed injury as well. Uh, He was actually injured in the same game as Evander Kane in Tampa on November 5th. And he only has four goals and 12 points in 31 games this season, which is a lot lower than you'd expect from a guy who had a career high 20 goals and 41 points a year ago. But when healthy and playing well, Yamamoto can be a good complementary winger on a, uh, a skilled line. You know, he might not be the natural scorer that you would like there. But like I said, still being able to chip in 20 goals. I mean, that's that's good production. And maybe eventually a guy like uh, Xavier Borgo will end up taking his spot in the top six. But uh, for right now, he's probably a better fit there than anyone else on the right side. And, uh, you know, he hasn't been healthy enough this season and that's, you know, affected him, but he's still one of Edmonton's best penalty killers. And hopefully Yamamoto will start to get on the score sheet a little more in the second half too. And he's going to have a good opportunity if he's playing alongside either McDavid or Dreisaitl. Yeah. Yeah. And it's funny. I had Yamamoto in my head, but he's played, I think he's played well lately. And that's kind of why I gave him the break. starting to get, you know, on track. And uh, I mean, he scored the other night in LA too on a nice tip. And I think actually all four of his goals have been point shot deflections this year. So, I mean, he has a skill for that, but you know, you'd like to see him shooting the puck a little more often too. Yep, absolutely. And I think you made a good point for uh, Kulak as well. He was one that I considered because, you know, he'd never been, a second pairing guy before. And this year he was sort of elevated because they thought he was ready to take that step. But um, I think he's probably better suited on the third pairing. And maybe the organization sees him as a stopgap until Broberg is ready. But the way that Broberg's been playing as of late, maybe that switch happens sooner rather than later. And I know he's also been mentioned as a, a potential trade piece if they're able to bring in Jacob Chikrin, but you know, that's the balance that you're weighing. Do you weigh a defenseman who, you know, could be a really good player for you down the road, depending on if you want the player who can make you better right now. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, Chikrin's a whole podcast on itself. If you wanted to (laughs) probably the most talked about non Oilers player on Oilers Twitter over the past two months. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, and, um, and I I think people want to make change for change's sake. So you know he's been he's been mentioned, and um, you know, I mean the thing is like, look, if you bring in Chikrin, you're getting him for three playoff runs. You got him this year, and he signed for two yeah. more years at a very manageable four point six million dollar cap hit. Um, 
the ask of two first round picks and a top prospect is a little rich for me. Or I've also heard a first round pick, a second round pick and a player. So like if you're having to give up a first and a second and, and Broberg, Oh, I mean, that's, that's tough too, because you know, this is a guy you picked eighth overall. And, and when you invest a top 10 pick in a player, you really want that piece to, to be on the team for years and years to come. And I think that he could be an excellent defenseman in Edmonton for 10 years. But when you look at Jacob Chikrin, who's almost a point a game defenseman um, and, and has a plus rating on a horrible Coyotes team and is solid defensively as well, that would be an, an outstanding piece to add to this team and really give the Oilers a boost going into the playoffs. The only question is a little bit about his injury history, but I, I mean, I would still be willing to bring him in. I just, would hate to have to include Broberg in that deal. Yeah. Yeah. I have some other uh, debates, but as I said, I mean, there's, <laughs> we'll save that for another podcast. Yeah, uh, and you know what, uh, just to finish up the show today, uh, I want to talk to you about a major announcement that you made on Twitter yesterday. And that was that you announced that the heavy hockey showdown charity game, formerly the Oilers live cup is returning on March 4th. I've played in this game twice before, the first time at the Max Bell Center in Calgary in 2019, and then at the Edmonton Downtown Community Arena in 2020, and it was an awesome experience helping raise money for charity by doing something we love to do, and that's play hockey. Michael, how excited are you to have this charity game going again after a few years? Oh, you know, I... um it's been a long go since we had the last one. Uh, it was February 29th of uh, 2020. Uh, or, yeah, 2020. And, yeah, it was a leap year. Um, <laughs> yeah, it was a leap year. <laughs> and uh, I've just been waiting and waiting for the right opportunity. Uh, we don't have a lot of time to create what we, you know, what we had hoped for our first one back. But, um you know, it's the start of, you know, now that we've got the heavy hockey network and we've got a group of just some really solid people, uh, I've got a great committee uh, that's being put together. Um, Jacqueline, uh, you know, who just she's um, the heart and soul of the committee and, and won't get enough credit ever for how much work she does for it. Um it's and just the people that come have come out and played are, are amazing, and the way that um, Oilers fans get together to support anything is amazing. So I'm I'm always excited. I, I love playing hockey, and I love it even more when there's a good cause behind it and and good people. So it's it's going to be fun. And um, you know I can't recall if you said it or not, but it'd be March 4th of this year yeah. uh, at um, at noon at Argyle Plaza. So a lot of, uh, believe it or not, a lot of ex-Oilers have stepped on the ice at the Argyle Arena there uh, in retirement uh, playing men's league back in the day, um, you know, like uh, Lumley and, and some of those guys, um, you know, when they played some senior hockey after they retired. Uh, I remember being able to watch them um, go play there. So <laughs> it's kind of, um, it's an old, old barn, but it'll be, should be a lot of fun. Awesome. Well, you know, I, I've never lived in Edmonton, so the downtown community is the only arena that I've ever played on there. And uh, I'm definitely looking forward to checking out uh, some of the new rinks around town or or at least different rinks around town. Yeah, yeah. Uh, 
and I, I know you, and like you said, I mean, it's an awesome experience. Anytime that you can uh, do something you love and, and, and raise money for a good cause. Um, you know, you've put on five charity hockey games since 2018. I, I know you said that this year you might not be able to do as much as you wanted in previous years because it's coming up a little quickly here, just seven weeks away. But how have you seen this event grow over the years from the first one? Yeah, you know, it um it's just the 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 name that uh, has come along with it. Um we did it um initially just as a way to get our Twitter folks together to play some hockey and uh attached uh, a charity at the time it was autism because um, one of the fellows that was playing, you know, had an autistic child and and uh so we were able to help uh not just his child but a number of child children uh, autistic children get um weighted blankets that year uh and uh and then we had everybody out in calgary where you played uh again we did it for autism uh we've done it for um pancreatic cancer when um a good friend of uh, most of the twitter folks and and just such a a guy that inspired all of us uh, adam zakuski uh was diagnosed with pancreatic cancer and and uh, so we did um, that for him. Uh, he was able to attend. He originally was going to play, um, and then um, you know he he was just too sick to play. But now the trophy that we'll be giving to the winning team is the Adam Zakuski Trophy. So you know that's um, yeah that's one of the the things he you know he passed away at Christmas a couple of years ago. Uh, and, um, you know, he just inspired all of us. And so it's, you know, it's kind of grown, it's been very organic because, uh, that's the way these things grow. We haven't, you know, put a lot of money into the marketing of it. Uh, I think this year will be much the same. It'll just be a bunch of good people getting together, watching hockey and then getting together that night. We'll, we'll get together to watch. I think it's the Jets. They actually have a home and home with the Jets. They, that's right. uh, Yeah. Yeah. So the Friday night will be the game in Edmonton and I'm going to attend that game. And then uh, I guess we'll, like you said, watch the game in Winnipeg on Saturday night. Yeah. Yeah. And I'll be at the, the jets game on the Friday night as well. So, oh, nice. you know, it's, it's, um, it'll grow. Uh, I think as we, um, unfortunately the pandemic kind of put a, a damper on, um, on our plans. Cause we had a great, uh, we had a great silent auction and a whole bunch of things, uh, that last game that we had, um, now we're kind of starting from scratch again, but, um, I was surprised at how many people immediately messaged me that were, you know, either waiting for me to announce the game or whichever. Uh, and we're already at, um, I think 20 skaters, uh, and we haven't even given all the details yet. So, um, as we finalize those details over the next uh, week, uh, to be exciting. I think um, if you're listening to the podcast, you definitely want to um, register to get on the um, yeah. on as a skater and, and play the game. It should be a lot of fun. And do you plan to use the same charity going forward for this event? Uh, no, we've got a couple of charities uh, mentioned right now. Um, we'll decide that too over the next week. Uh, I just wanted to put the date out there so people knew. Um, but there's a couple of really good charities that, um, and there's all, you know, there's millions of great charities, but um, we'd like to pick one that's uh, meaningful to uh, the people that are playing and and um, maybe relevant to the time. 
Uh, so we'll we'll do that. And um, as we go forward, maybe we'll stick with one. Uh, we haven't done that yet. Uh, but, um, you know, there's still lots of questions to be answered. It's too bad, uh, uh, you know, for so many reasons, but the pandemic definitely put a, a damper on our plans. And uh, I know you put out the announcement that the event was happening yesterday, but I don't think that you had said where the game is going to be played. So I guess we're getting some breaking news on my podcast. It is. In fact, <laughs> uh, it is breaking news because uh, as we were um, as we're recording, I got the uh, the confirmation that uh, the ice is booked. So that's awesome. Pretty excited about that. All right. Uh, and, and just the last thing I want to ask is for anyone who wants to play participate or volunteer with this game what's the best way for them to reach out to you to get involved yeah i reach out to me either at michael at heavyhockey.com or dm me on twitter at oilers live and uh, we'd love to have the more volunteers just the bigger it's going to be and and um, of course you know even if you volunteer to do pretty close to nothing uh, you be there at the game and have fun with a whole bunch of different people um, and we'll have, um, hopefully we'll have lots of different activities for those that want to watch and for those that want to play. That's awesome, man. Well, I appreciate you telling us all about this awesome event and for taking the time to talk Oilers hockey with me today. Let's hope the Oilers get a big win on McDavid's 26th birthday tonight. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> let's go Oilers. And you know, McDavid has played well on his birthday in the past. I think most memorably, he had his 21st birthday in Vegas back in 2018, and he scored the overtime winner in that game. So uh, that would be a, a great thing if he could have another big night on his birthday tonight. And I also remember this this wasn't on uh, his birthday, but on January 14th, 2021, which is my birthday tomorrow, uh, he scored a, a hat trick against the Canucks. So I uh, wouldn't mind seeing him do that again as a, a birthday present for him, but also a birthday present for me. That would be amazing. (laughs) (laughs) All right, man. Well, thanks again for being on the podcast. And for anyone who isn't following Michael, go follow him at Oilers Live and find out more about this awesome event. Thanks Thanks, for inviting me. All right. So for Michael Hebert, I'm Eric Friesen. This has been the 99 Forever Podcast. We're out.